All right, what's up? It is Canucks talk coming in after a, a dramatic pause, a weighty dramatic pause there. Uh, but we are here. It is Canucks talk. I'm Jamie Dodd. My co-host is Canucks insider Thomas Drance, who also covers the team at The Athletic. Canucks talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. I am coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. And I say that I am here in the Kintech studio because uh, my guy Drance is on the road in Seattle where the Canucks will play the Seattle Kraken tonight in a preseason affair uh, at seven, Drancer, what's going on, man? Yeah, and I'm glad I'm here. Game's not going to be on Sportsnet, yes. but of course, our listeners can tune in and listen to Batch describe it all on Sportsnet yeah. 650, and I encourage you to do so. So I'm glad I'm here, though, because I need to see it. I need to see the roster battles, especially after a performance in Edmonton on Wednesday night that I really, uh, I think, sh- uh, not just me, I think a lot of Canucks fans should be pretty heartened by, given the strength of the Oilers lineup. Um, you know, given the fact, like, could you, let me ask, let me phrase it to you like this instead of going on a five-minute diatribe sure, about sure. Cole McWard and Dakota Joshua hitting and stuff. Is there a player you would say stood out to you for the wrong reasons last night? Well, I don't know about from top to bottom of their performance. I would. I, the only thing that I thought was notable was Rick Tockett letting Andre Kuzmenko hear it a little bit after a after a turnover. But like that's. But even then, I wouldn't say that like Andre Kuzmenko had a really bad game necessarily. You know, in in their in their performance in total. But that's the one thing that would kind of stick out for me. Yeah, I. You know what? The other thing is, and and this happened in the scrimmage a lot too. Like Kuzmenko going into the offensive zone one more time after his line mates had already changed. Like, I promise you that's driving talk it wild. Yeah. And he did it last night and shorty said it a couple times last night um, on the game call. In addition to dropping a truly heinous Roberto Luongo take. Um, (laughs) But, uh, but you know, and I guarantee you, I guarantee you with his emphasis on like changing the right way and that little stuff, like, I just, I know, I know every time I see it, you know how I've been saying, I'm trying to figure out and like get into Rick Tockett's head in terms of how he's evaluating things. That's one I already know. Every time I see it, I'm like, oh man, I'm telling you that's, that's some point you're going to hear about this. Um, and maybe it'll result in you having a game or two on a different line if it doesn't get cleaned up pretty quick, especially once the games count. Yeah, and it, it is interesting because, as you said, there's things that are obviously going to really frustrate Rick Tockett. And this isn't new, right? We saw it when Rick Tockett came in last year that Andre Kuzmenko's playing time uh, took a bit of a hit. He found himself further down the lineup on a few occasions, right? So we shouldn't necessarily be surprised <laughs> by this. You know, I thought you were just going to say no. I didn't think we were going to do, like, a list of nitpicks. <laughs> that was not my intention. <laughs> well, no, like, I was going to go – I was okay, so here's the thing. I mean, I was going to go through all the positives oh, and man. then talk about Andre Kuzmenko at the end. But, I mean, we're here talking about it now. I so we squirreled may, it. We may as well have our say on it, right? And then we'll get into the positives of, of last I was night. Like, I was, like, so ready to be like, you know, you think this is the negative Canucks talk hour? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. And now we're nitpicking, and like as you're talking, I'm like, you know, Carson Susie also wasn't great. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, oh look, my goodness. just the way you phrased it to me. It's like that was uh, the one thing that, that came I, up. But the way, I what, I, it, I, what I was going was, to say It is, was rhetorical, Jamie! <laughs> <laughs> but what I was going to say about Andre Kuzmenko was the one thing is, like, I wouldn't necessarily look at this and think, like, oh, he's He's playing himself into Tockett's doghouse. I think there are things that Tockett wants him to do differently. I don't, and I don't think that's surprising. But I also think you look at how Andre Kuzmenko has already responded to Tockett having, like, having these concerns with him, and you know, reducing his playing time and all those things. Like, I think Kuzmenko, for he seems to be able to take this sort of criticism and respond to it. Now he still has to change what he's doing on the ice, right? But I don't necessarily look at this as like, uh oh, you know, the coach and the player, they're not going to be able to get along. Right. Sometimes players, some players can take more of that tough love than other than other players. And I wonder if that might be the case here for Kuzmenko and Tockett. Yeah. And, you know, it's one of those things where I do think you should price it in to your expectations for Kuzmenko this season. Like, I'm not saying it's likely, but is there a chance that there is a run of games in which, uh, you know, because he doesn't fit the north south template, right, that Rick Tockett. Mm-hmm ideally would prefer or because of the possibility that the club decides that Pedersen and Tufts is our best bet right that Kuzmenko yep. gets separated from Pedersen for for a stretch of the season and that that has an impact on his ultimate counting stats I mean I think those are things that are worth like pricing into our expectations for Kuzmenko even if I, I don't think it's likely to be a major headline narrative that sort of uh, guides how Kuzmenko's season unfolds. Like there, there is that factor that that should be out there, and that should at least color, um, you know, what what we expect to see from the Canucks as it regards their, you know, forty goal scoring second year player. Yeah. Uh, this season. Yeah, it's something to watch. I don't again, I don't think it's like a panic or like, uh oh, you know, no, this rela- this no, relationship no. is fractured or anything like that. It's just something to monitor. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's well, something yeah. to keep an eye on. Well, and it's it's you know, I'm I'm trying increasingly to think like this, like where you know, and let, let's turn the conversation to Spencer Martin and then we'll get back to the preseason okay. game because yep. Spencer Martin's on waivers and that's the news of the day and we mm-hmm. should hit that, uh, you know, write it up on the whiteboard for, for our listeners right off the hop. Spencer Martin on waivers today. He's uh, got one year remaining on sort of a below league minimum uh, one way cap hit. The, the one way the guaranteed American League salary makes it likely that he clears and he actually might have more trade value after he clears mm. for some teams, right? The fact that he's already gone through waivers means that if you're like a deep-pocketed organization that has a third goalie who you're not sure makes it through, right? Adding Martin below the line could actually be useful as an insurance policy. So, um, you know, we'll see how this one plays out all told. Uh, but, you know, it's a high salary. It's a bet that the Canucks placed that didn't pay off. And yet, I want to defend the bet because I'm seeing some people say some stuff on Twitter like, you know, what, what were the Canucks doing when they signed him to a two-year one-way deal, on and on. And, and coming off the season that he had, given his draft pedigree and given, and this is important, the fact that the, the club under Rutherford and Alvin had inherited, you know, this Halak bonus overage, right? This Halak situation mm-hmm. um, in terms of limiting their cap spend, you know, the Canucks decided to roll the dice and go cheap in terms of their backup goaltending. Um, Martin was part of it. Delia was part of it. Neither hit, right? Like, the Canucks goaltending when Demko got hurt was bad. Frankly, the Canucks goaltending before Demko got hurt was bad. Yep. And so, 
And and I'd add this too, like the environment did neither Delia nor Martin any favors. The club was so bad defensively that I still remain convinced that if you were blaming the goaltending and not looking at the full picture, you were missing um, the truth of what was happening to the Canucks last season. But, you know, it didn't work out for Martin last season, and yet he rebounded pretty well in the American League, and I wouldn't be surprised if he was really good in the American League this season or even serviceable over, you know, 10 to 15 games in the NHL, provided that he's not put in a spot like he was last year behind one of the league's worst defensive teams um, where he has to all of a sudden be an everyday starter. He was asked too much of and, and it didn't work, but I still don't think the bet was a wild or reckless one by Canucks management like it was a relatively conservative one and a reasonable way to grapple with mm-hmm. a problematic situation not of their own making. And, you know, I, I mean, I think that excuse gets thrown around a little bit much in, in terms of some of this club's other moves. But in this case, I actually think it's a completely fair qualifier to make. This wasn't a, a, a heinous mistake by the organization. This was a reasonable approach to trying to cobble together goaltending depth given the cap restrictions. Uh, unfortunately for a variety of factors, some under Martin's control, some outside of it, uh, it didn't work out. And, you know, I, I'd be a little bit surprised if he's claimed. I will not be surprised if the Canucks can find a home for him uh, over the next, you know, week, two weeks before Canadian Thanksgiving. And I also will not at all be surprised if Martin is totally fine. Yeah. <laughs> totally fine this upcoming season and, like, find value for his contract uh, in a new spot, provided that the environment's at least defensible. Uh, Tampa Bay, by the That's, way, losing Andre Vasilevsky. Yeah. All eyes will be on them. Um, you know, you could see it, in, in which case you might get the OEL revenge game and then the Spencer <laughs> Martin, or the Spencer Martin revenge game and then the OEL revenge game on uh, on the Canucks' trip to the Florida Panhandle, um, you know, in, or not the Panhandle, excuse me, to Florida, uh, you know, in, in, in the October. First, second weekend of the season. So that would be uh that would be easy, an easy lift for, for a hockey writer. Anyway. Yeah. It's uh, if, if you're, if you haven't seen the news yet, Andre Vasilevsky back surgery is going to be out for the first two months of the regular season, according to Tampa and Tampa has basically nothing else behind Vasilevsky in the crease. Very, very, very thin at the goaltending position. So they're going to do something almost certainly. Of course, Spencer Martin played for their AHL team for the two seasons before he, got into the Vancouver organization so there's some familiarity there and you know the the goalie waiver market I always find really hard to predict because it's so contingent on like something like this right like hey Andre Vasilevsky just hit the shelf all of a sudden there could be a need created in Tampa we'll see if he makes it through or if they end up finding a trade but yeah I mean I think the key thing to remember with Spencer Martin is as tough as it was for him at the NHL level as you said he rebounded and played well in the American League right like when he got back to the, the correct usage and into a, a more controlled environment, right? That wasn't just complete chaos in front of him. He performed well. He performed like he traditionally has. So I think there's every possibility that he continues uh, to be, you know, a, that kind of goalie around the NHL, right? Kind of backup or a really good AHL guy. Uh, and I wouldn't count, you know, the 29 games he played in the NHL as what he is going to be going forward. So yeah, Tampa is going to be interesting. We'll see if anybody else. Uh, is interested in Spencer Martin on waivers 
as well. Okay, so we got we got a little sidetracked talking about the negative side of things, even though, as you said, by and large, uh, a good performance from the Canucks last night in Edmonton. You lose on a Connor McDavid OT goal. Guess what? That's going to happen. That's no big deal. But like the words that came to mind for me, and I think these are they sound a bit like a low bar, but they're really important when you think about it coming on the heels of the Calgary debacle, right? Like competent, professional, right? Like those are the words yeah. that I was thinking watching that game, and I actually do think not that we're throwing a parade or, or anything because they played a competent preseason game, but I think it was important for them <laughs> to go out and do that against a good Oilers team. Yeah, it was, it, especially in the context of the 10 nothing L that the club took um, you know, in Calgary. Uh, it, it was absolutely important to just get something positive under this team's belt um, you know, before this preseason proceeded. Um, yeah, and, and look, they played – I thought they played really well. I, I really liked a lot of the individual performances. I thought everything from Cole McWard playing really well to, um, you know, to obviously the way Pedersen looked. Hey, how about Pedersen in the face-off circle, oh, yeah. by the way? Yep. Everyone's like, wow, what a surprise. And it's like, not to Canucks Talk listeners. Canucks Talk listeners knew. Um, but, no, there was so much to like about the team's game. And, look, I do think it mattered. I do think it just mattered to get something positive going um, and, and to eliminate, you know, even the possibility of, you know, a, a preseason hangover discussion mm. that, 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 you know, could have become a thing if, um, if the club had more negative results like the one we saw in Calgary. Uh, to open the preseason. Yeah, there's no you, there's no sense that the preseason is going off the rails or anything like that, right? No. Which is hard for a preseason to do, but you still don't want to even well, entertain that conversation. Sure, you say it, but it happened last year. Yeah, like, that's it did. the only reason. It did. It's you know, it's it, that's the only reason that we're we'd even discuss it as a thing is, you know, that's that's what happened. <laughs> like we've been through it. <laughs> so there were a lot of, you know, credible to strong performances last night up and down the lineup. The two players that I wanted to talk about, and you mentioned one of them, and we can start there, is, and, and they're two players that coming into training camp, I would have not rated their chances of, of making the NHL team particularly highly. And, you know, you mentioned Cole McWard, who got the opportunity, you know, carried over from practice to play with Quinn Hughes. Now, it's a, there's a little bit of an asterisk there, right? Because there were some times where, okay, it's a defensive zone draw. Tyler Myers is out there with Quinn Hughes. And then after they get control, he goes to the bench and McWard mm -hmm. comes over. So they're still kind of looking for creative ways to shelter Cole McWard in that context, which to me raises some questions about is he really the guy you want there. But having said that, I thought last night was the most impressed I've been with McWard since he's joined the Canucks organization, right? Yeah, like last year in, in his NHL cameos, I looked at it and said, like, this is a guy trying to survive, and that's fine. I mean, he's a relatively young NCAA free agent signing who all of a sudden is playing in the NHL. That's a really tough adjustment to make, but I didn't look at it as opposed to, say, Akita Hirose and say, oh, okay, there's really something there. He could help this team next year. Last night, I thought, okay, I can start to see how this guy could figure in uh, to the plans for the Canucks. Yeah, he's looked like a project to me, certainly, for the most part um, in his Canucks career, but he definitely looked the part uh, of a player capable of maybe giving them more than that. It's just one preseason game. Mm -hmm. You know, his usage was prescribed. The, the thing that's really interesting to me 
is if this team is going to try to, you know, and, and really it was mostly McWard, but if they're going to try to build a top pair right-handed defenseman in the aggregate, right? Or yep. do it by committee would be the more sports way of talking about it. And I don't know why I said in the aggregate. It's because um, you're you, buddy. <laughs> that's, just, that's just your brand. <laughs> um, if they're going to try and do that, you know, I, I, I think there's like there's going to be more options some nights than there was last night. Now, interestingly, uh, at least interesting to me, the Hughes plays with Myers thing only really happened in the first period. Like we Mm. saw it on that first period defensive zone draw. It wasn't off of an icing. It was very much an elective decision by Rick Tockett. But, you know, McWard did end up getting one defensive zone faceoff over the rest of the um, over the rest of the run of play. He also got a bunch in the offensive zone. Like, he played the vast majority of Quinn Hughes' minutes with Quinn Hughes, and yet because he doesn't factor into special teams, he ends the game, you know, sixth among yep. Canucks defensemen in overall ice time. So that's sort of an interesting wrinkle where you can start a guy, he can skate on the first pair in line rushes, but in fact be he's your a sixth third defenseman. pair guy in real yeah, usage. Yeah, he's, he's your sixth defenseman who you're just finding the right spots to get him into the game when you can, basically. Right. And that's what it looked like with, you know, um, like Myers is the only other righty in the lineup, mm. right? In a world where Philip Peronik's also in the lineup, are there even more options to limit his ice time further, right? Are there other ways? Are there other wrinkles? Yeah. Could McWar be almost like an on-the-fly specialist, which is something, by the way, that we saw from the Canucks in the 2011 Stanley Cup final with Chris Tanev, like as their defensive injuries mounted – a super green, although still, you know, very Chris Tanev like Chris Tanev, um, would would occasionally jump up and play shifts with Erhoff, despite being ostensibly on the third pair with, you know, Andrew Alberts or whomever. So, you know, I could see I could see something like that for McWard, but but it is a little bit fancy. Like it is a there is a lot going on there. Yep. If you're um you know, trying to run every game like that. I, I thought McWard looked really good with the puck. In the offensive end, I thought his breakouts looked a little hesitant, although he had one really nice outlet pass uh, to spring sort of a a would-be two-on-one with uh, Kuzmenko and Patterson. I think it was early second period. Um, I I still thought he was taking a little bit long to to recognize sort of where where his breakout lanes were uh, on the breakout. But, But with the puck in the offensive end, I thought there was some really nice stuff to see there. And... You know, defensively, it's, you know, I mean, it's preseason. Like, (laughs) these, no, truly, like, you know, he didn't look lost, Mm -hmm. right? I would say he didn't look lost, which is, which is very good. Um, You know, he he played a fair bit against the McDavid line. Like, he spent almost five minutes head-to-head with Connor McDavid. So, preseason or not, that's not like an easy assignment. It's not like he was really sheltered, even if they protected him from one defensive zone draw. Uh, this was a this was a pretty significant look, and I, I think there's no question he acquitted himself very well. Yeah, and again, not a guy that I would have really factored into the discussion. I mean, I know there's just because of the guys like you know Noah Juleson and, and Jet Wu potentially ahead of him on the depth chart, but he's definitely showed. I mean, he obviously showed a lot better than either of those guys did uh, against Calgary on Sunday. And you know your point about the, like when Hronik gets into the lineup, then it creates even more opportunities for that. And just think of something as simple as 
you know, the other team iced the puck, right? And you can get Quinn Hughes and Philip Pronick out there on an offensive zone faceoff, right? Do you take the chance to do that? And that's another way where you manage uh, Cole McWard's minutes a little bit. And yeah, it's something that like I I like the creativity and the willingness to try things. As you said, it can get a little bit tricky and you might get caught out at moments, but you know what? You're dealing with a, a an imperfect roster construction on the blue line. So you're going to have to try some out-of-the-box things uh, at some point here. The other name I wanted to bring up, and this is, I don't think, as surprising a good performance as Cole McWard, but the the name that I'm starting to think like there really might be something here is is Arshdeep Baines, who I was very impressed with last night. I don't know, like not not that anything he did was flashy or you know racking up points or anything like that. But the the way I was thinking about it, the the word that kept coming to mind for me is he's playing with purpose. Like it feels like he always knows what his plan is, what he wants to do, what he's trying to accomplish, and he's capable of thinking a couple of steps ahead to put himself in a position to do that. And it's that kind of hockey sense to me, which kind of separates him or could separate him from your typical, you know, like AHL guy who's trying to bring energy and crack the bottom of the roster. I think there's an ability to think the game at a bit of a different level. And I thought he made some good plays last night. And, you know, I still think it's very, very crowded on the wings for him to actually be in the opening night lineup. But if we start to think about, okay, who could be the first call up or one of the first call ups, yeah. I think he's put himself in a really interesting position in that race. So while we're playing Sesame Street player evals, where it's like the word of the day for Archdeep Baines is, yeah, um, <laughs> not that that's what you did. I just thought it would be funny to do it. Um, and I would go with belongs. Mm. He looks like he belongs in, you know, an NHL environment with NHL players. He didn't look like a guy auditioning. He looked like an NHL player. And what's interesting is some of what you're talking about with the hockey sense was evident last year. It's just that the pace wasn't yep. quite there and the size wasn't quite there. He's like grafted NHL level attributes onto, you know, a, a package which even when he was raw 12 months ago, you could see from an on ice intelligence perspective in all three zones, right? Like he he immediately the the moment we saw him hit the ice in Penticton last summer, he had a really uncanny sense of how to use these this collection of spin passes not just to, you know, uh, Gilbert Perrault it in the, in the um, or Den, um, Savard is the guy, Denny Savard it in the offensive end, but to, like, use it along the defensive zone half wall to draw a defender in on your back and then use that space to facilitate the breakout up ice. That's a pretty mature skill set. Um, and he had that right away, but now he looks like an NHL skater. He looks yeah. like he's grafted NHL size onto his frame. I mean, his progress has been fantastic. I, I, I also think you got to, like, I think you got to shout out Willannon. I thought Willannon played really well, and I think he needed to. Like, I yeah. think Willannon had the game he needed to. I think Dakota Joshua was obviously a big topic of conversation going into the game last night. I suspect that particular conversation is over. Yeah, I think that, right? story's, was, that, that story's done for the time being. I yeah, think. I, I mean, I, I was never really buying it, but I'm, I'm definitely not buying it now. Uh, but up and down the lineup, I mean, I thought there was a lot to like from Teddy Bluger, yep. especially on the penalty kill. Um, you know, I, I thought there was a lot to like from Joshua on the penalty kill. I thought there was a lot to like from Max Sasson. Like, it, it's really hard for me to find fault with much of anything. Um, I don't know that Brisbois had the best night, and I don't know that Susie had the best night, but that's splitting hairs. I mean, for the most part, Vancouver played, uh, you know, a really nice team preseason game against a better opponent on the road. 
And now, at the very least, just like I want the penalty kill to not be a conversation, like I really didn't want preseason performance <laughs> aside from, like, you know, I really want to stay focused on the horse race, on the on the reality show that is NHL training camp until we get a set opening night lineup. Like, that's what's fun. Yeah. I didn't want to do the, like, team in chaos conversation in late September again this year. And, and you know, I think the Canucks at least put in a performance. Like, they could lose tonight 4-5-1. Um, you know, provided that it's not 10 nothing, yeah. <laughs> And at least I think that conversation is in the past, and thank goodness for that. Well, and at least you just have, like, some guys who, hey, they've increased their stock through their play in the preseason. They're making it interesting. There's going to be some tough choices as opposed to coming out of – like, we're doing it right now where it's like, okay, it's hard to find the negatives, so it's hard to find the guys that played poorly. The conversation out of Sunday was you really have to squint to find anything good to say about the performance the team put out there, right? So it's just, it's just a fundamentally much better spot for the team to be in when these races actually start to tighten up and you can make – really credible cases for a bunch of different guys for the final couple of spots uh, on this roster and we will get a chance to uh, to evaluate some uh, some different players tonight for the Canucks uh, they're in Seattle as you mentioned you're down there Drancer so you'll be one of the few people in the market with eyes on this game because uh, it's not on TV but you will be able to listen to it on Sportsnet 650 and I mean really Batch is he's so good at calling it that uh, it's, it'll be as if you're watching it uh, on TV when you tune in uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that matchup who we're going to see tonight or who we expect to see, what we're looking for, players we're interested to keep an eye on, uh, maybe a little bit of the Seattle side of things as well. It is Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650, live from the Kintech studio. 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Strantz here on Sportsnet 650. And uh, just before we get into the game tonight, another preseason game, for the Canucks versus the Seattle Kraken uh, was the first day of waiver wire, waiver wire activity uh, in the NHL. Obviously, we mentioned Spencer Martin going on waivers for the Canucks. One of the other names uh, put on waivers by the Pittsburgh Penguins, defenseman Ty Smith, former first-round pick or, or first-round pick in 2018. And this text comes in from Brandon from Mount Pleasant. Uh, shout out to Mount Pleasant. Do you think Ty Smith would be a good fit? with the Canucks and you know Ty Smith is one of those classic players where with the first round pedigree the offensive capability that he showed going you know in junior and in the draft process there's always going to be that curiosity and that intrigue in that player when you see him available for free but I think it's really difficult to see a way it it fits for the Canucks given how their how their blue line is already set up yeah he's he's a lefty yeah he's undersized yeah um, you know, is he better than Jack Rathbone at this point? He's not a better skater, right? So, uh, you know, no. I, yeah, I is he better than that. is he better than Christian Wolanin? Right, like not, not, not well, based on what they did in the AHL last year. Yeah, no, I no, he's not. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I don't, I don't see a fit there. I, look, I love though the Florida Panthers approach to like bulk buying upside D men mm. 
on waivers, right? Like, you know, in over a three-year span, they claimed uh, Gustav Forsling, who obviously hit for them and is a mainstay top four guy, which is the best-case scenario. But they also, you know, uh, took a shot on Juleson, and that didn't work out for Juleson down there. And then they traded Juleson in addition to another guy to jump the waiver queue and, and get a look at Yolevi. Obviously, that didn't work. Yolevi, by the way, released from his PTO mm-hmm. with the Arizona Coyotes. Um, but still worth the swing, especially because it was basically free. And then they did it again last year with uh, Josh Mahura, and he hit for them and was mm-hmm. like a mainstay player on their third pair and formed a, a partnership with Radko Gudis that was super effective for them. So, you know, I, I mean, I like bulk buying upside D on the wire at this time of year. I think if you have a certain construction, a certain spot, because, um, you know, you claim a guy off waivers – they can't go back on waivers. That's the right? thing. Like that's, yeah. You know, it's not like you're adding a guy to the organization with no strings. No. If, if it um, was like, hey, get him and put him in the A and see what happens, then of course, like, oh, lots yeah, of sure, teams would yeah. be lining up to take him, right? But you have to find a spot for him on your NHL roster. Well, and I would think someone claims him. I mean, I think there's still enough pedigree there that yeah. someone claims him. But but here's the other thing. It's hard to claim guys early in the year. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, th- I suspect, like, Pittsburgh is one of the only teams that really – mashed the waiver wire today and i'd suspect their goal is not to get rid of any of those guys it's to put them on waivers yeah it's to put them on waivers before other teams are prepared to have you know those hard discussions about the final rosters but not that they're not prepared just that they want to see more and want to give the guys that they signed and that they backed during the summer a chance before they give up on them like you know you claim a a pitlick type right now Mm -hmm. and you know, that that means that you're taking an opportunity away from someone else who you believed in at some point recently for some reason, um, you know, just just to do it. Whereas if you do it, you know, if, if he's on waivers 10 days from now, you're looking at it and being like, well, is he a better penalty killer for the specific thing we need than these guys who we who we've given a fair look at? Right. That's a very, very that's a much easier call for hockey operations groups to make. So. You know, this is a time of year where guys tend to sneak through. I suspect that's why Pittsburgh approached this the way they did. Um, Kyle Dubas has more experience losing guys on waivers than just about anybody. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I would think I would think their hope is that they keep most of them or, or all of them. And yet I wouldn't be shocked if somebody, I mean, Arizona well, sort that's of a, dipped their they, they toe would in be this a, pool. Yeah, it would be a classic, like, bottom feeding team or team that's not expecting to be good but is still trying to collect young talent right like that that's totally. the team you would look san at to, jose, to do a move yeah anaheim yeah i mean san I, jose I think, is a good shout given how their blue line looks this yeah. year Oof. i think that could make some sense but also there's going to be a lot of these guys like if you're like me if you're like me you might like jack rathbone more than ty smith i like jack rathbone mm-hmm. more than ty smith you might like uh the new york rangers have that puck moving lefty you have always liked zach jones Right. Zach Jones could hit waivers in the next two, like nine days. Do you really want to claim Ty Smith now and tie your hands and prevent you from taking a look at one of those guys? Like for me, I'd be much more interested in um, in, in getting a similar profiled guy who maybe doesn't quite have the draft pedigree, but has the wheels that I think you mm. need to be a real like offensive stand out in a sheltered role at the NHL level. You know, for me, guys like Zach Jones and Zach Rath, uh, wow, Zach and Jack. Um, for me, guys like Zach and Jack sort of fit that template better 
than a Smith does, just given the speed, yeah, uh, the speed element and how important that is in the contemporary NHL. Yeah, and to your point about you know waiver wire claims being more likely the closer you get to the season as your as your <laughs> roster starts to. Does anyone get to... deeper on sports talk or into into like waiver claim strategy on sports? <laughs> this talk is this is what we do, bud? man. This is this is Holy what we cow. do. <laughs> but to your point, because we had I had some somebody else was texting in, you know, could McWard basically be a stand-in for a waiver wire pickup? And if you were going to bet on the Canucks or you know speculate if they're going to be active on the waiver wire, I think it would be for somebody who fits more of that mold, right? Like veteran, right shot defenseman, because that's where the glaring need on the blue line is. Now, I don't have a list of guys who could potentially hit waivers who fit that mold, right? But as you said, the closer you get and the more you have a, a better idea of what your roster looks like, you can really zero in on the specific things you want from a waiver wire pickup. And in the Canucks, right, it would be right shot, penalty killing, maybe a little a little toughness, all of those things. If there's a name like that on the waiver wire at any point, then yeah, I think it's very fair to wonder if the Canucks would be interested. Yeah, and, you know, not easy to um not easy to like teams don't wave those guys. no exactly <laughs> like I, that's what i'm saying i'm not i don't have like a name in mind but if you st- if you start to see those types of attributes there uh that that could be something that would move uh the canucks mm-hmm. i would think not and not like a as you say undersized offensive oriented but not a good skater uh defenseman i get the first round pick pedigree but it's still a tough uh, tough thing to fit on the canucks roster at the moment okay so as mentioned, you're down in Seattle to watch the Canucks and the Kraken tonight. Uh, back-to-back road preseason games for the Canucks. So, of course, I would be surprised if anybody really from last night features in this game. Maybe one or two. But, I mean, it's pretty easy to guess at least the outlines of the lineup that we're going to see tonight in Seattle, I think. I mean, last night we get the Pedersen line. We get uh, Quinn Hughes, Carson Soucy. That would lead me to believe tonight we're seeing Miller Besser, Phil Giuseppe. We're going to see Ian Cole and Philip Ronick, I would guess. And then, you know, we'll see who rounds things out around that. I, I would guess Vasily Podkolzin probably gets another shot. Uh, maybe guys like Noah Juleson and Jet Wu who struggled against Calgary, but should be a first preseason look for, as I mentioned, key guys like JT Miller, Brock Besser, uh, and also on the blue line, Ian Cole and Philip Ronick. Yeah, the thing to look for tonight, in my opinion anyway, is to group it with yesterday, right? These are two games against different opponents with different lineups, but it's all the same race. Mm. And we had Consequence Day on Tuesday at Canucks practice where we began to see the shape of who was leading the race at the first turn. Well, the the tr- you know we're at the point now where the uh, sort of preseason process accelerates. We're going to be at the second turn after tonight. And so these games, yesterday in Edmonton, tonight in Seattle, are going to be evaluated by this coaching staff. And then on Friday, or sorry, on Saturday, when the Canucks host the Oilers, Game four and game six, those two crucial preseason games that Rick Tockett isolated as, as having additional meaning as real dress rehearsals, like Saturday's lineup, that's another consequence day. We are going yep. to see, you know, who has altered their spot in the pecking order during these two preseason sort of uh, not lower not lower stakes because it's super high stakes for these guys, but, you know, by the time we get into that game four and then again in that game six, those are the two sort of checkpoints remaining for us here. And then the fourth turn is obviously like the actual day that 
um, in-season rosters and cap rules kick in because that's where, you know, you have to be compliant. You have to make your final waiver decisions. So th- that, that, that's the rest of the race here. That's the shape of the rest of the race. Tonight is the second half of the sort of second-turn audition to jockey for spots in that Game 4 lineup on Saturday night at Rogers Arena. And, and you know, at that point, really, it, it's probably going to take something pretty special for a player to upset the apple cart further. So, yeah. you know, tonight's pretty high stakes for some of those guys it, who will play who are on the roster. It's board. almost like the second heat after the first heat yesterday, right? Like, different different event, but guys chasing the same spots. Yes. And, you know, as you lay it out, right, and we're – this is the halfway point of the preseason schedule, and then you get into those home games, which we would as – you, as you say, right, we would expect to see a, a pretty NHL-heavy lineup in those home games – you know, we've talked about him a lot this week, but especially given what some of the other bottom six candidates did last night, I think the way Arshdeep Baines has played, this feels like a very, very big game for Vasily Podkolzin. Not that it's going to be his last chance or that he won't get other preseason games if he struggles tonight or anything like that, but when you've already dug yourself a bit of a hole and you've started to slide down the pecking order the runway runs out really really quick you have to arrest that you have to turn it around in a hurry and I think for Pod Colson it really has to start with a strong showing tonight yeah I, I mean the stakes are really high for him like they are they just are and that's unfortunate because you know it's just unfortunate that we're in this spot but yeah Pod Colson needs to be great tonight I'd say and I think you know, it really the stakes are high yeah right. like what, what what we saw with you know Dakota Joshua last night was just a very he had a he had a very clear idea of what he was supposed to do out there right like they're looking for certain things from Dakota Joshua yeah they want him to chip in offensively and obviously everyone has to you know take check all the boxes defensively for Rick Tockett but they want him to play with that edge play with that aggression play with that physicality and you know this kind of gets back to our the ongoing conversation we're having about what role can they give Vasily Pod Colson to really help him build that confidence. But look, not that he's going to be an agitator in the same way that Dakota Joshua is, but I think my message to Pod Colson would be like, okay, just focus on a couple of things, whether it's getting in on the forecheck, whether it's playing physically, whatever it is, just find those kind of bedrock foundational things you can do, focus on that, and use that as a starting point. That feels like where he is right now, where you just, okay, what are you going to do to help this team tonight? Just focus on a couple of things and do them really, really well, and then build from there in your other opportunities. Yeah, and I mean, I would approach it exactly like Dakota Joshua. Like, yeah. You know, there are obviously going to be roles higher up the lineup, um, you know, if you play really well. But if you want to make this team, you got to be noticeable. You got to take the you got to go to the Jack Stadnika school of getting yeah. noticed, right? Yeah. Which is uh, throw the body, bring some meat and Skate potatoes. really fast. Yeah. High energy. <laughs> exactly. Like, that's it. That's it. That's all you need to see from him today. I think that's what's sort of vital here. Uh, you know. I'm definitely curious to see what we get from Pew Suter, mm-hmm. especially given that he was in the lineup during that 0-10 loss and that Teddy Bluger played so well last night. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't think Pew Suter's in any danger of falling out of the lineup, but 
could we open the season with Teddy Bluger skating more ice time on a on a night to night basis than than Puce? Like, yeah, I think so, right? Like, I don't think that's outside the realm of possibility. Well, especially uh, given how Bluger's looked, especially when you factor in now Suter could figure in on on the penalty kill as well, but Bluger I think is going to be you know a good candidate to lead the team in in shorthanded ice time, right? So like, or, or at least the forward, so he's going to get those minutes. And I mean, yeah, I thought like. Bluger, Oman, Studnika kind of looked like a, a ready to go fourth line, just in terms of the energy and the speed and the and the physicality. So I think it's fair to wonder could they at least equal a potential suitor line early in the season in ice time, if not if not surpass them? Yeah, and and you know some some other sort of um, you know m- smaller battles, lower stakes battles, mm-hmm. but nonetheless battles like. You know, Anthony Beauvilliers spent all training camp on the right side and almost all of it on a line with, you know, on, on like lines that look third or fourth line caliber. But, you know, we, we live in a world where we strongly expect the Canucks top line tonight to be Phil DiGiuseppe, JT Miller and Brock Besser. I mean, if you're Anthony Beauvillier and you're like, I skate fast, I'm, I, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm reliable defensively. I'm a reliable two way forward. Like I can play left wing. I'm left shot. Um, you know, is that D. Giuseppe role something that you're still eyeing over the final 10 days of camp? Because it should be, yep. right? Like, it should be. Like, D. Giuseppe is ensconced in a top six role for this team, really. Like, that's that shouldn't be a thing that Beauvillier is not capable of upsetting the apple cart on. Uh, or at least making a strong, you know, put your head down and take a run at it uh, sort of um, shot at. Uh, Linus Carlson, right? Like, Linus Carlson is going to play tonight, most likely. Archdeep Baines played last night. That might end up being the race for the first call up on this team, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? In the event of injury, uh, you know, I think there's, I think there's something to compete for there. Neil Zaman, Neil Zaman would be another. Like, you know, Studnika, I think is one, and I'd add Sheldon Dryzen to this. Like Sheldon Dryzen, Neil Zaman, you know, in that race for the at least thirteenth forward on the team spot, right? Those are all guys that can play center. Um, you know, they're they're all guys that can contribute on special teams. Dries is probably the most proven on special teams of the three, uh, given his power play effectiveness. So, you know, I, I think there's uh, I think there's competition there, too. That's that's sort of another front line we're looking at. And then in terms of the depth defenseman yep. battle, I mean, Jack Rathbone, you, you talk about running out a runway, right? Like Jack Rathbone's going to require waivers here uh, if he gets cut at any point. Um, you know, he hasn't, it, he hasn't like put him, he hasn't gotten a long look with like an NHL looking pair at training camp. And, and that, I mean, his, that might be it. His, the die might be cast here, but yeah, a, a really good performance tonight. Can he open that door? Can he get the, the look with Myers? Can he get the look with somebody before the end of training camp, before he's cut and waved? You know, that would loom large for me, uh, as would Matt Irwin's performance, right? Uh, he hasn't really left no doubt nope. yet at this point of training camp. Uh, McWard and Willannon are certainly playing very, very well. Um, so, you know, and then and then Akito Hirose, right? Like Akito Hirose all summer, it felt like he was penciled in in some ways into this Canucks lineup. Um, you know, uh, can he sort of begin to make the case again tonight. I, not that he hasn't made the case already, just like it, it feels like the Canucks seem to prefer him going down to the American League and and, get, and playing big minutes, and I don't think that's the worst thing given his lack of North American or like pro experience. He's only played seven games. But, you know, he's really good. Like he looked really good last year. So, 
Can he give himself a shot in this final week? I guess one last one would be Jet Wu. The Jet Wu bounce back, right? Yeah. Uh, in a world where and, – and Juleson too. Well, I would, world, I, I would even put Juleson in terms of like a guy who is maybe under the most pressure to have a good performance after Cole McWard last night. I think Juleson really needs to step up and, and show something to kind of stay neck and neck with McWard as, as we – as you say, you know, get closer to the finish line here. Yeah. I mean, McWard's definitely, you know – the fact that he got the look with Hughes in that Tuesday practice and then acquitted himself well on mm-hmm. Wednesday, you know, it's going to be hard for, for the Wu Juleson tier of player to answer that tonight. Uh, so, you know, we'll, we'll be watching certainly and, and watching closely to see if they're able to, you know, I mean, they're going to have to be really good. Like they're going to have to put in a really solid performance, I think. Um, to upset the apple cart, given given what McWard showed this week. Yeah, I mean, there's you, still time though. But there but is tonight's important. But I think it's got to start tonight, right? For yes. one of those guys to really change the narrative and start pointing in the right direction. And man, you went through so many of the left shot defensemen, right? And it's just it, there's it's so crowded. There are so many names on that side of things, especially now that we expect for all of Hughes, Cole, and Carson Soucy to be on their natural left side, right? And then you throw in Matt Irwin, who's kind of perfectly built if he if he earns the role to be the seventh defenseman because you're not worried about getting him regular reps and then you go to Hirose, Breezebois, Willannon and I mean you're talking about Jack Rathbone and like he'd have to jump over like four of those guys in the in the next you know 10 days here well, I just I, I don't know he if, if he can do it no I mean the odds are stacked against him he hasn't even gotten a look yeah and and you know I'm not criticizing the team for that Right, like the the fact is, is no, it's that reasonable to give all the other guys better looks, right? Like you got to yeah, you got to choose at this somehow, point. yeah. So you know, it's but that's what tonight could mean for some of these guys. I mean, again, you sort of look through and think about what preseason has meant for guys in their career. It's amazing how quickly it can turn. You know, at, at this point in the you know summer or the fall of twenty nineteen. Like, the, the prospect of Adam Gaudette making the team out of camp was, you know, almost like something we were Remote. laughing about. As yeah. as Yeah, as like something. And then he goes on a goal-scoring binge and, you know, outworks a lot of his teammates and throws the body on the forecheck, and boom. He, he you know, not only played in the NHL that year, but he scored at a 40-point pace uh, as a 19-year-old and seemed to be on his way to big things. Um, you know, Aaron Volpatti, like, I'll always remember this. Aaron Volpatti... Uh, sort of one-punched, I think it was Todd Fedorik okay. in a preseason game, and, and it was like, okay, well, the roster battle's over. Like, you know, like, <laughs> he li- uh, Truly, like, that happened. So, you know, it's amazing how quickly – look no further than Dakota Joshua, Yeah. right? 24 hours ago, Dakota Joshua was like – he wasn't Dakota Joshua anymore. He was like, Dakota Joshua? Right? <laughs> like, like, it was like question marks. And now, I mean, you see that physicality – you see the way that the Edmonton stars, whether it's Nurse or McDavid or Dreisaitl, sort of take liberties throughout the game. And it's like, do you really not want a, a human being that's Dakota Joshua's size in the lineup? Because it feels like you should want a human being that's Dakota Joshua's size in the lineup. Yep. Especially if he's going to mix it up like that. So, you know, it, things can turn on a dime. And that's what makes this time of year, especially when it comes to those, you know, spot 20, spot 21 spot maybe 23 on on the roster that's what makes it so interesting yeah the spots I'm really the really that I'm focused on are I would say like 
forwards 12 and 13 and defensemen six. And I guess you could throw defensemen seven in there as well, but those feel like uh, the spots that are really up for grabs. And the interesting thing is, you know, those aren't the most glamorous spots on the roster, obviously, but the one thing about that's fun about the races is there's so many candidates for all of those spots, right? Like there's a lot of viable, uh, plausible guys who could potentially win those spots. I will just say quickly, these guys aren't in roster battles per se, but one thing I'll be, I'll be really interested to see tonight is uh, the de- the preseason debut of Ian Cole and Philip Pronick together, right? Because I-, I know you were impressed with what you saw from Ian Cole at training camp. And if this Canucks defense is going to work with, you know, a-, a kind of makeshift partner for Quinn Hughes, Carson Soucy and Tyler Myers on the third pair, you really, really need a solid, dependable performance uh, from those two on the second pair. And I'm, I- I'm curious to watch that tonight too. Absolutely. I, I, without question. Hey, one one last thing that we didn't talk about. I just want to get into this really quick before we go, mm-hmm. especially given that Martin's on waivers. Casey DeSmith looking calm, collected, cool mm-hmm. in the crease. Um, do you, does that in any way up your confidence level in Vancouver's backup um, sort of spot here? I, I, I don't think that necessarily last night's performance, but I think he – like he just has more NHL experience and at a higher level than Spencer Martin, right? So them them acquiring him, like he feels like more of a legitimate backup uh, than Spencer Martin was. So the the acquisition of him increased my confidence. It's good to see him look good last night, especially against a talented Oilers team. But I don't, I'm not sure how much I'm I'm changing my stance on the goaltending just based on last night, if that makes sense. But I, I do yeah. think like no, a Demko to Smith tandem is better on paper gives me more confidence than a Demko Spencer Martin tandem yeah I think more than anything it's just that you you know with the Smith coming in it's like okay they they got a reliable veteran backup and and just to see DeSmith look like a reliable mm, veteran yeah. backup unlike Braden Holtby and, and Yarrow Halak at certain points right like they've they've been down that road and it hasn't necessarily worked out but it's yeah, good to see although those guys look decent in preseason <laughs> <laughs> yeah fair enough uh, but yeah no like it's 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 better than the alternative right it's good to see him get off to uh, to a good start in the preseason okay we will take a quick break uh, up next one of our faves uh, even though we are are so terrible at pronouncing her name and just generally insulting her by accident every time. What did you call comes, her last time? Like I, Vince? I don't know. I don't even know. Oh, Alan. Alan. Alan yeah. Like, oh my gosh. But anyways, Allison Lucas. That, that hall of shame for it, us. Oh, like, I don't truly think we've ever awful. had a worse moment on this show. Truly yeah. terrible. Allison Lucan uh, covering the Kraken for Root Sports. She'll join us next to talk all things Seattle Kraken going into the season here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.com. Net 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber 
text line. You continue to get your thoughts in. And uh, as mentioned, the Canucks playing the Seattle Kraken in Seattle as their preseason schedule continues, wrapping up the road portion of their preseason schedule tonight. And as mentioned, joining us now uh, to talk a little bit about the Seattle Kraken, what's going on in their training camp, expectations for the season, and a lot more. Uh, She is one of our favorites. She is uh, the great Allison Lucan of Root Sports Northwest in Seattle. Allison, thank you very much for doing this. How are you? Oh, I'm great. I'm talking to two of my favorites too, so it's great to be oh, here with you. That's very nice of you to uh, to to be dishonest about that, but, we, <laughs> but we appreciate it all the same. We'll take what we can get. Um, very always excited to have you on the show, and you know, just for people who are just kind of catching up on you know what's going on around the league, what's going on with the Seattle Kraken. What would you say has been kind of the big story uh, in Seattle Kraken preseason and training camp so far? Yeah, I think there's a a couple storylines that people are keeping their eye on. The first is, of course, you know, this organization is is getting old enough now that they have some of their drafted talent starting to push for roster spots. So who's going to be on that opening night roster? Is it defender Riker Evans? Does Shane Wright start in the AHL or the NHL? Then there's, of course, who's going to back up Philip Grubauer. You know, Chris Drieger was injured most of last season, and now he and Joey Decord are kind of fighting for that that 1B spot. And then, of course, there's, you know, just like every organization, some roster changes. Um, The three players who made up the fourth line last season have, have all moved on to other teams, and so the Kraken is looking to find a new way to get that magic in a bottle that really cemented their depth that was such a huge part of their success last year. Yeah, you mentioned some of the young players and even you know players that the Kraken have actually drafted uh, since they've come in to the NHL. How, how much do you think the organization is counting on some of those young players, rookies, or even just guys taking a step forward to, to offset some of the losses and really to you know consolidate what they were able to do last year uh, in their second season? Yeah, I think the key word there is count on. And I think that the Kraken right now have the luxury that they don't have to count on it yet. They're really going to let the youth dictate where they should be. There's no, there's no situation here where there's, there's a rushing of any of the younger players. And I think that's exciting. And, you know, you can see the organization making some of their off-season moves to protect if the youth just aren't ready yet. You know, there's some, there's some veteran signings coming in, Belmar on the forward side, Dumoulin on the defensive side. So if the younger players aren't ready yet, the team is, is still flush with what they need. And then if those younger players push, I think that they'll be able to work their way into the lineup as well. Allison, how have the, let's call them the Coachella crew, the Cole Lind, Ty Karche, Riker Evans tier looked to this point at training camp and through the preseason how would you handicap their odds not just of making this team but of helping to fill the gap left by the departures of your Susie geeky um sprong types yeah you know a couple that you mentioned are the ones that have caught my eye so far in camp and we're just a little bit under halfway through up here down here I should say compared to you guys Um, But Ty Cartier has looked exceptional. Um, He played, and of course, these are preseason games, but just a really aggressive um, goal scored shorthanded on the penalty kill in the first game in Calgary on Monday. Uh, Riker Evans looks poised. He looks ready to push. Those are the two that kind of really capture my eye right now where, you know, Jacob Melanson is also kind of starting to make a case for the coaches to give him a serious look. So, 
I think that there's a couple key guys that might be on the coach's short list, but again, just now having that familiarity with these players for for two straight years in camp is going to give these coaches an idea of what they can count on should and if and when injuries start to hit. And in Wright's case, you know, we, we've we've heard that, you know, he, he's got that special exemption to, to play in the American League this year, but is he going to give the crack in anything at the NHL level this season? Is he looking like a player poised to do so? Yeah, you know, it's I first and foremost, I think, you know, and if we consider what this kid went through last year and, and even at yeah. the draft, you know, it makes sense that he looks the way he does this year. He looks much more confident. He looks much more comfortable. Um, you know, his timing has improved. Again, that confidence with the puck is improving. I think he's looked really strong in camp. Now the question becomes, with your top nine in the Kraken still pretty much solidified, it looks like, at least right now, is he going to do enough to push to make a fourth-line spot, and is that where the team wants to see him slot in? I don't know yet if he'll be on the opening night roster, but I do feel like this is a player that's going to see some NHL time before the 82 games are up. Uh, one young player who was fantastic last season, winning the Calder Trophy. And, you know, as you talk about not necessarily counting on young players, well, they're going to count on this guy in, in Matty Beniers. <laughs> what, what does the next step look like for Matty Beniers in his NHL career? Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. I keep forgetting that he's, he's so young. young. He's just 20 <laughs> years old. It's yeah. insane. Um, but, yeah, you know, I think, again, we're talking about a preseason game. And as everyone knows, you know, it's particularly early – the road team doesn't necessarily send the most stacked roster, but Maddie played Monday at home versus Calgary and, and just commanded the ice. Um, you know, I, I we have to get a shout out here to Shana and Sarah in case, you know, we want to mention them. And I, I gave Shana a little bit of beef with some of the, the player rankings that they gave to Maddie um, over there at the Athletic because, I, you know, all last year I kept saying, just wait, he might have a slump, and, and, and the kid never did. So I think you're right. They're counting on him to take a step, and he looks ready to take a step. It, it's, again, insane to think this is a guy who's just starting his second full season in the NHL. You know, I think a lot of, uh, of the read on the Kraken early in their NHL uh, history, and I think this is you know natural for an expansion team, right, has been, hey, there's some really good depth players, some very good players on the team, but do they have that high-end talent to really push them into the contender tier consistently? Can Matty Beniers, you know, do you think we're still going to be having that conversation at the end of this season? Or can Matty Beniers kind of stand up and say, you know, I'm that elite piece, actually, that can that can help lead this team to that next level? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I, I think he can become he can start that conversation this year for sure. I don't think that he's going to be, you know, a Connor McDavid type player in terms of just everyone looks at the point production and says, yes, obviously elite. And that's way oversimplifying Connor McDavid's story, of course. But I think he's going to push being a leader of the team on the ice, being creative, being able to drive play and being able to control play in all three zones. And so I think he's going to be a little bit more of that look, but he is going to be ultimately part of the top tier core of this team, particularly when they open their window of contention. Shana, you know, it is just preseason. It's, it's Allison yeah. Drance. There it is. Oh, oh my <laughs> goodness. <laughs> Love it. Well, I'm a, I'm going to um, light myself on fire now. Hey, um, <laughs> Allison, we will have you on for an incident-free radio hit one day. 
you know, I know it's just preseason, but last year, I remember that game, I think it was in Spokane or Everett, and I was in Spokane, where the Canucks played the Kraken. It was their both teams' very first preseason game of the year, and immediately you could see Seattle's speed through the neutral zone, which they really didn't have the year prior. Um, it felt to me anyway, in retrospect, like that game mattered much more than a preseason game typically does. Uh, has there been anything that you've seen that feels like signal rather than noise in the preseason from the Kraken so far? Yeah, that's – and listen, you, it never offends me to be called Shana. That's the highest compliment you can give. <laughs> it offends me. <laughs> I'm bad. <laughs> I, I think it's a great question, and I think, to your point, last year this group was really ticked off at how that first year went, and they wanted to send that message – from the beginning of camp in every way that they could. This year, I think the signal is a little bit different in that you're starting to see some real comfort in a good way of this group, and, and that is bleeding into confidence. There's, there's a lightness to this group this year that I like, um, that is still serious, um, and there is a real focus on pace and competition that you can feel. And so from an intangible perspective, I see that. I think from a tactical perspective, you know, you talk about transitional play, for example. I think they're just looking still to what is that fourth line going to be like that we've talked about. You know, they've got Andre Burakovsky back now healthy. How is he going to reacclimate to the game after being away from, from game speed for quite a few months? Um, I'm not seeing anything tactical yet, but I do think this is a group that's taking things very seriously, but with an underlying sense of purpose that's a real positive for them. Allison, one thing that I keep noting, and Kraken fans get upset with me, it seems, whenever I bring it up, um, you know, I tend to think the departures this this summer, uh, especially Prong and uh, Sprong and Geeky, um, you know, not, not that they're, like, costly. I'm not trying to overinflate it so much as I look at this Kraken forward group and I wonder if it's lost a little bit too much size, given, mm. you know, size and goal scoring. When you, when you sort of replace those guys with Yamamoto, who's a good player in his own right, but is more of a high-motor guy, as opposed yep. to, you know, a, a finisher like Sprong and, um, and Geeky, especially given how efficient finishing was so key to what this team did well, I sort of look at that and wonder how it'll all fit. Are my concerns valid or are Kraken fans right and I'm out to lunch? <laughs> well, I think that, again, that was one of the questions we started off our conversation with, right, is what does that line look like? I think, you know, you, you do have Belmar coming in who's, just, who's got the frame to him and, and has that mm -hmm. defensive side to his game. And then you have a player even like John Hayden waiting in the wings who's not afraid to bring a physical edge to his game. But even more so than the size, you know, if you look at the goal scoring, I mentioned Burakovsky returning. They're going to have a full year of Eli Tolvanen. Um, remember, he didn't join the club until January of last year in terms of actually mm -hmm. playing on the ice. And again, Yamamoto, not size. But, you know, if you look at this kid's shot chart, he's someone who's not afraid to get to that net front area. Um, and so if he can pop in, you know, 10, 10 or 15 goals maybe, you're looking at that production sustaining. It, it's a, it's something to watch for sure, without question. Um, but I think that the team is looking to replace those efforts in pieces up and down the lineup. 
you know, fi- we talked a lot last season, Allison, about the finishing talent and the really impressive shooting percentage for the Kraken. And, you know, some of that maybe is a little bit of good luck, but also that was how the team was built. They just had really good shooters up and down the lineup. How concerned are you about that regressing or do you think they can do enough to, to have that remain a strength of the team this season? Yeah, I mean, definitely something to watch. I mean, for those of us who love the numbers side of this, you have this conflicting argument, right? You know that Jared McCann is one of the top finishers in the league. So to say he sustains, I can say absolutely. But then you look at, you know, this lineup and you say how many guys had career highs. And what of that, to your point, is luck? What of that is the fact that this team really slotted players into the exact right spot to maximize their, their talents and their skills? It's something to watch. You know, I think an Oliver Bjorkstrand, actually his luck goes up. I think he was a little snake bitten last year. But but some of these other guys, it's really going to be a proofing year for what their offensive and specifically finishing ability is going to be. It's a very valid question to be asking of this team. So with that in mind, and you know, I I just find the Kraken are in such a fascinating position with the big jump last year, winning the playoff series, which is incredible for their fans in the, in the second season. What do you think are fair expectations for the team going into year three now? Yeah, you know, and again, if we look at the context of the division as we have to, I think that if this team can stay mostly healthy and, and people are able to execute as expected, even not exceeding like we just talked about, this is a team that is in contention for a postseason spot right down to the wire. I can see them again. Maybe it's, it's, it's fourth in the division coming in. We, we know who the heavy hitters are in this division, but, but they have some question marks too. You know, you look at L.A., the goaltending, what, what's going to happen there? I still think they're a fantastic team up front, um, but I do see the Kraken making a statement, coming back and saying we are once again in the conversation for a postseason spot, and hopefully they can do it for a second straight year. Yeah, you mentioned the the Pacific Division a little bit there. I did just want to get your thoughts on kind of the strength of the division top to bottom, Allison. As, as you mentioned, you know, obviously defending cup champs in Vegas, uh, McDavid and Dreisaitl in Edmonton. I think L.A. is going to be really good this year, too. And then you've got kind of that, that second tier of three teams or that middle tier of Seattle, Calgary, and Vancouver, which I think should all be pretty competitive. And all of a sudden, you know, we kind of got used to talking about the Pacific as one of the weaker divisions in hockey, but I think it could set up to be fairly formidable this year oh absolutely you know and even even the teams that we are pretty sure are not going to be in contention this year are going to be fascinating right like how does anaheim's right. develop what does san jose do to get into the spot of the rebuild as they want but but yes you know i think what's really compelling about the pacific is that there's a lot of good teams but there's a lot of questions you know how does calgary rebound can they rebound with with new leadership i mentioned la's goaltending you know you look at vancouver with put are did they finally get all the pieces right are the young kids ready to really drive this thing home can seattle do it again can vegas stay healthy you know they've got a lot of a lot of the talent returning but we know what's happened to mark stone here recently and and they need their players to stick around on the roster so yeah i think that there's a lot of talent there's a lot of good competition but there's a lot of kind of linchpin issues for some of these teams that could really turn things the other way and it'll be interesting to watch if they happen and if they do how do the teams course correct Allison, because I'm a walking uh, The Athletic set piece, I always like to ask, especially <laughs> especially uh, those of our um, especially those of our guests who really know their stuff out West. 
I, I like to ask them to give me their Pacific Division tiers. And we've had some interesting ones. Like Ryan Clark gave us Seattle third. You just mentioned they were fourth, so I got to get your tiers. How do you? How would you tier? And this isn't like a perfect, you know, this is a true talent tiering. This isn't a like perfect summation of what you expect the standings to look like at season's end. So much as as you gauge the relative strength of of all of these teams with all of these question marks, how would you tier the Pacific? Yeah, um, I think, you know, again, the the top tier is kind of that we've been jokingly calling it the royalty tier, right? Because it's the Golden <laughs> Knights and the Kings. So, you know, I think that, that for me, they're there. Sitting between tier one and tier two um, is Edmonton. I still can't decide if they're going to cross the hump or not. Um, but then in tier two, you know, that's where I do have, as we just mentioned, Seattle, Vancouver, and Calgary. And then we have our rebuilders kind of making up that bottom tier. That's how I see things. It's interesting. I know a lot of, a lot of people seem to be a lot higher on Edmonton than I am. So I'll be curious to see where they end up. I, I'm one of those people. And it's mostly because I think they're, you know, the, the, like if there's the royalty tier, right. Then there's the merchant class in particular, the power play <laughs> merchants. And, and I just think they're going to absolutely destroy in the regular season five on four. And that'll power them to, uh, you know, I honestly think they're going to be first in the division at the end of the regular season, which isn't to say I think they're going to be the best team overall. I just think their particular combination of skills, you know, Liam Neeson and Taken style, um, lend themselves <laughs> well to, um, to like putting up a lot of points. Yeah, I mean, again, I think it's, it, but we, how many times have we said we thought Edmonton was just going to like knock everything down, right? It, yeah. It's going to just, <laughs> at the end of the day, it, it's humans playing this game and mm-hmm. it, there are pressures that are real. There are things we can't control that are real. That's, it, I think that unfortunately, because of all the narratives, be they true or not, for me and maybe some others, you know, Edmonton is, is in a little bit of a prove it state to me still, even with all of the totally, completely agree elite talent that's on that roster it's interesting to hear that you're very high on LA though as well kind of having them up in right next to the Golden Knights in that tier is that you know Pierre-Luc Dubois Brant Clark is a combination of things what what makes you so high on LA going into the season yeah you know I do I think their 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 center depth is really good I'm very curious to see what Dubois does there you know I am one of those people that as much as I I hate facing it in terms of them being your opponent I love the way that they can control the transition game with with their mm-hmm. with their game plan. Um, again, for me, the question is just goaltending because we've got so much change there. Did they find the solution, and is it going to work out? Uh, Allison, it's always a pleasure, and it feels like every time I sign off, I just have to say thank you, and I'm sorry. <laughs> we're, we're sorry. It's, just, it's a package deal when I sign off with you now. So thank you and apologies, and uh, enjoy the game tonight, and hopefully we can chat again soon. Thanks so much, guys. I love you both to death. Hopefully we'll chat again. (laughs) Thank you. We will completely understand if we don't, though. (laughs) (laughs) Bye-bye. That is Allison Lucan, as mentioned, uh, covering the Seattle Kraken for Root Sports Northwest. And you did it, Drancer. You did it. I can't believe it. I can't. Like, I. it's a tick at this point. I'm, like, thinking so hard. It's the yips, basically. And I also – it's the yips. You're Chuck Knobloch over here. 100%. 100%. And I'm and I'm like making a point of being like, Allison, Allison, Allison. And then I'm like, Shayna. 
Oh my god! Well, it's funny too because one of your like stylistic things as an interviewer is you you do address the person by their first name, right? Like frequently when you're leading off a question. So, which is fair. Like, there's nothing wrong with doing that, but you're like upping your odds of making a mistake. You know what I mean? You're doing. There's like a lot of rolls of the dice in every interview to see if it lands on Snake Eyes. <laughs> I'm I'm so mad at myself. <laughs> my day is ruined. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Well, we still got half an hour left, buddy. So don't uh, try to try to get back uh, back into things. And I yeah, mean, I'll at shake least, it off. I'll shake at, it off. At least she's extremely gracious about it, right? I do love. Um, well, and I'll see her tonight, so I can just like, exactly. explain that you can uh, I'll, you can, I'll, smooth I can explain things over. that it was just in my head. Yeah, I do love uh, our producer Lena, who's in the building today. Like. I would hate it so much as a producer to bu- to book a really good guest and you know someone who's really lovely and really smart and then your two idiot hosts can't stop insulting her <laughs> on air and you have to text her after and be like oh I'm so sorry they're not usually like this I don't know what's yeah, happening please come I on mean, again I don't think we have any credibility now no we really don't as far as she knows we are usually like this um, <laughs> well and, and she's right as yeah. usual. But uh, it was interesting she's, to hear. She's Team Kings, though, eh? Yeah, that that really stood out to me. Kings over the Oilers, right? Like not just not just breaking into a tier with those top two teams, but in her eyes, actually having the goods to jump past a really loaded, at least you know, again for regular season hockey, certainly a really loaded uh, Edmonton team. That was like, and, and she's someone whose opinion I put a lot of weight in. That was a really fascinating one uh, for me to hear from Allison. I- as opposed to me, who's been banging that drum? <laughs> well, no, but I don't think I think she's she to me sounded even higher than you've been on them. Um, I would say she's more lower than Edmonton. Okay, then 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 I think I think we've both been like the Kings are, you know, the the sleeping giant team in the in the West. I mean, that's how I felt, or at least that's what I've been trying to convey. Like, I think that's the team with the like highest upside case to level up significantly from what they were last season in the West. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's fair. It's still, I, I know there's the question marks in goal and everything, and we'll see if it ultimately ends up being equivalent or in that same category as the Golden Knights and the Oilers, but I do think they're going to be a really uh, a really impressive team this year and a tough one to deal with. And as she said, the way when you stack up that type of center depth and you add Pierre-Luc Dubois to it, and you, you know you already had such an ability uh, to control play consistently, I think they could be a pretty daunting opponent for the other teams in the Pacific Division. All right, we will take one final break here. We'll get back in on the Canucks side of things. Uh, what to watch for tonight in Seattle? You can take we. You can send in your questions as well. Six fifty, six fifty is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Anything on your minds uh, as the Canucks preseason schedule reaches the halfway point tonight? Final segment coming up here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet six fifty. Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance, live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. The Canucks are down in... Seattle for another preseason game 
tonight, not on TV, but you will be able to listen to it right here on Sportsnet 650 with Brendan Batchelor and Randy Janda on the call. So make sure you tune in to that. And tomorrow on the show, very exciting, Drench, you'll be able to give us the, the live eyewitness report. And we'll just have to go along with whatever you say because we won't have seen it. We'll just have to take everything you say at face value because you're the only one there. I'll bring a lot of descriptive language. Um, <laughs> really paint I'll a picture it. for us, yeah. yeah we, we can, uh, you know what, we can play uh, Two Truths and a Lie. <laughs> I like that, actually. I like yeah. that. Yeah, we'll, we'll play a couple rounds of Two Truths and a Lie where I'll tell you things that happened during the game and you can tell me if you think they're true or not. <laughs> That's actually really good. I'm excited <laughs> for that now, tomorrow. Uh, so there you go. That's a nice teaser for tomorrow. Oh, um, okay, uh, 650-650, as mentioned, is the Dunbar Lover text line. Uh, before we talk anything more about tonight's game, we did have a couple lingering questions about last night's game, their performance uh, in Edmonton for the Canucks and this one comes in thoughts on Neil's Hoaglander's play uh, last night and you know it is interesting we ran through a lot of the guys that played in the first segment Drancer and especially you know uh, people more in competition for bottom six roles and you know one of our big points was it's really hard to find anyone who didn't help their cause last night who had a a poor game and you know, one thing we didn't talk about was the top line, really, of Elias Pettersson, Andre Kuzmenko. We talked about Kuzmenko a little bit, and Niels Hoaglander. And, you know, zeroing in on on Hoaglander in particular, I don't think – it's not that he was bad by any stretch last night, I don't think. But it is kind of the thing where I also don't know that he has been so good that he's really locked down that spot yet, right? Like, there's still – there's he's done enough to keep earning those looks there. And if the season started tomorrow, there's a good chance he would be in that spot. But I think there's still room to do even more to really solidify his hold on that spot. Oh, really? I thought he was really good last night. I thought he was good. I just don't I don't necessarily look at it as like uh, there was still, you know, a time where he's on the wall in the defensive zone and puck doesn't get out when you'd probably like to see it get out. There's still enough of those moments where I think there is like, again, I see the upside and he would be there if if the season was starting right now. But I don't think it's like a lock. And then I think once Mikheyev comes back, then I think are, it becomes sure? a really Are you talking about the one in the first period? Because that was Kuzmenko. Now maybe I got confused, but I thought it was Niels Hoaglander. The one, the one in the first period where they really like got hemmed in, and Shorty even mentioned it. He was like, they had a chance to get it out. That mm. was Kuzmenko. Uh, okay, well maybe, maybe I'm completely off. Base no, it was there. on the left side half wall, so like I can understand why um, you would have thought it was Hoaglander. Like that should have been Hoaglander's spot. They must have gotten uh, switched up in coverage. But yeah, no, I, I mean, look, I thought Hoaglander was real. I actually, I actually didn't think that line was that good last night in terms of generating a lot, right? Yep. Like in terms of generating zone time, one thing, okay, this is unfair. I'm going to note this in advance. This is unfair. If you don't like negativity, turn off the radio or whatever. Don't turn um, off the radio. <laughs> no, actually, sorry. Of course. Never but turn just off take, the radio. Take it with a grain of salt. It's just a thing that I think when I watch the Oilers play the Canucks and I like, I'm I'm objective about this team. I don't consider myself a Canucks fan anymore, um, like I was when I was growing up. But there's something that bothers me when I see the Canucks play the Oilers, and I watch Dreisaitl and McDavid, this like super potent league best duo, just sort of control the game where it feels to me like the Canucks are antagonists. You know what I mean? Mm. Like where it feels like the Canucks are foils, are secondary supporting characters in the game they're playing, and and. I can't help 
but feel in those moments like this is what the Oilers fans must have felt like watching the Twins. Like this is what right. it looked like. Like your props for the for whatever play they're putting on right now. Yeah. And I can't help but be bothered by it. Yeah, but I mean, I hear <laughs> I what you're can't. saying, I, but like it's like it's like and well, and especially when you combine it with the lack of team success the Canucks have had. Yeah. And it's like, you know, obviously, obviously, um, but like it's like is Pet our our Pedersen Hughes the Canucks version of like Eberly Hall, you know, and it's mm. like it just bothers me. It just bothers I, me. I think the thing though is I think that I see what you're saying, but I think I'm not that, saying it's rational. But it says and a it's lot. Definitely not well, a nice thing to say. It's just how I feel. But it says a lot more about the Oilers than it does about the Canucks. You know what I mean? Like I think inherently Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl, that duo, they're going be going to be the focus of almost every game they play because they're that good. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Well, so it, it does. It does. But, uh, you know, it did feel to me anyway like it's just the top line didn't generate those, like, lengthy shit. You know what I mean? Like, that, yeah, that's oh, no, it was It was very much a, you know, working their way into form performance for Pedersen and Kuzmenko. Right? Yeah, like, it yeah. wasn't if, – if that was your first time no, watching Elias Pettersson play hockey, you wouldn't have come away and been like, oh, that's a top-ten center in the league. But that's fine because it was his yeah, first preseason action. He still, still played really well. Like, there were a lot of really nice defensive sequences uh, from him, I thought. Like, there were a lot of moments where he just popped up at the right spot to disrupt possession and get the puck going the other way. It, it, there just – there wasn't a lot of that, like, sustained – passing play cycle stuff that Kuzmenko yeah. and, and Pedersen do when they're at their best. Right? That, that's that's really all I'm saying. It's not criticism. And, you know, I, I don't even know what I'm getting at. It's just a thought that I always have these days when I watch the Canucks play the Oilers. I think it's just – And, and I, I don't think it's just about the Oilers. I also think it's a product of the Canucks' lack of team success. Like, these games feel like showcases for Dreisaitl yeah. and McDavid when these two teams meet – and and the the tensions like will they or won't they get it done, as opposed to being like this matchup between, you know, teams on level footing, right? And the Oilers push the Canucks around. The Oilers think they can push the Canucks around even in the preseason, mm -hmm. and they carry themselves like that every time they play them. Yep, every time. It's, it's, it was the same story uh, from last preseason as well, right? Like that was and, the, that was the Dakota Joshua game. It was against the Oilers last year. And every game they play, like the Oilers don't believe that the Canucks are tough enough to play with them. And then they go out and prove it every time. And it just bothers me. It just bothers me. But don't you think, I mean, Sorry. to do a cross-sports analogy, like, basically what you're describing, isn't this how teams feel or felt for a long time anyways, like playing against the Warriors? You know what I mean? That you're essentially, like, you're the obstacle for the Warriors to overcome, but they're the stars of the show? Like, I think that just kind of comes from a certain amount of star power on the other team. Like, inherently, they're going to have main character syndrome or whatever, right? Because they're because it's Connor McDavid on Leon Dreisaitl. Yeah, I mean, I get it. I'm just... <laughs> I, I see what you're saying. You would love for it to be a battle of equals. I just well, think... Well, I mean, and you don't have to equal them at the top line, but, I mean, it doesn't feel like that when the Oilers play everybody. Yeah, it I, think it, I think it feels like that when they play a lot of teams. For sure. They're really good. Yeah. They're really, really good. They are. They are very good. Connor McDavid turns out really, really good, uh, even in the preseason, as he showed yep. last night. Yeah. It's, I mean, look, he's fun to watch. I, I hear what you're saying about it being kind of an annoying feeling going up against uh, the Canucks, but it's definitely a uh, a blast to watch when he really gets going. You know, I did think Pedersen, there were still some moments where, as you said, it wasn't like the overwhelming territorial dominance that we've seen from that line or anything like that. But, you know, like there was a play early in the game, I think, where there's a puck going. It's like in the air, been cleared by Edmonton. It's in the neutral zone. He just 
batted it down to the ice and like immediately had control of it. Like he's like a soccer player taking uh, control of a high pass or something like that. And it's like those little plays, which are just so impressive from Elias Pettersson. So I did think there were moments where he looked sharp and he was driving play. It just wasn't that same type of dominance uh, that we're always used to seeing him. While we're talking about Elias Pettersson, and you know, you mentioned the performance in the faceoff circle. What he finished seventh in Selkie voting last year, and I know I know you were a little down on his Selkie candidacy last year. Do you think there's a chance that we could see him be a finalist, something like that, like face-off oh, if, percentage? If he adds five percentage well, points to his, like if he's a fixture from game one on the penalty kill and adds like three to five points to his face-off percentage, if he finishes north of 50, I, I think that'll start to really turn heads yeah. and make him a serious contender, but... I also think it's going to matter if the Canucks use him in that matchup role. Like, one thing working against him going into the season is going to be if Kuzmenko and Hoaglander are his line mates versus Besser and Phil DiGiuseppe for Miller. Like, I can tell you which line is going to be Rick uh-huh. Tockett's first choice in matchups. So, um, and it's not Pedersen's line. So, that's one thing that could work against him, although that tends not to be like Kessler won the Selkie for the year in which his, you know, usage was softest. in his entire Canucks tenure. So sometimes that's not paid attention to as maniacally by the rest of the voters pool as it is by me. Um, So maybe I'm just grafting. Maybe it doesn't matter at all. You know what, though? I think think the voting process on the Selkie in particular has probably changed a lot since 2011. You know what I mean? Like, I think now it is the kind of thing that will get a lot more focus than it would have when Ryan Kessler uh, was winning it. So I do think that will matter. Can we talk about face-off stats really quickly? Sure, please. Pedersen was seven for seven, right? Mm-hmm. And yet he'd lost his most important draw of the game at the point halfway through where the broadcast started being like Pedersen, seven for seven. Um, the five on three, there's the five on three, and it's Sutter taking the face off for the Oilers. He looked pretty good, by the way. I thought he played yep. well. Hope hope he gets a shot this year. Um, it's five on three. Pedersen's taking the draw against Sutter. And Pedersen comes in, and he goes down too early, and he gets kicked out of the draw. And Garland comes in and takes it and loses it cleanly. And the Oilers clear it with about 15, 16 seconds left in the 5-on-3. Canucks never get to set up on the 5-on-3. Like, you know, it's just preseason, so it, it doesn't matter. But I'm just talking conceptually here. That's the most important. That's like the highest leverage draw that Pedersen faced all game. And it doesn't count as an L for him, but that's a loss. That's a team loss. Mm-hmm. Driven by your center getting booted and having to be replaced by a winger. Yeah. You know, we don't and we don't record those as anything. Uh, It's just it's one of those things like like every other stat in the league. You have to be careful about the context in which you you look at it. Like one thing I always do when when talking about a guy who's good on draws is I go and look at their by zone face off clip. Okay. Because the faceoff rules legitimately change when you move to the defensive end, right? Mm-hmm. It used to be that the road team had to show their, their sort of hand first down on draws. And then it became whatever team was def- in the defensive zone has to go down first. Like they, so you literally – and you can watch it happen. The defensive, the defensive center has to like go down into their stance. And the moment they do that, NHL faceoff guys who are so, so good at this particular area of the game – know whether it's a power move, whether it's a finesse move, what they're going to try and do with it for the most part. Like with, within a, a fairly good um, sort of interval of confidence, they know what's coming. Huge advantage 
for the uh, attacking player. And that's why, you know, uh, even like a 52% faceoff guy is often like 47 or 46% uh, in the defensive yep. zone. Right, it's the real aces who are like fifty-five percent in the defensive zone. Like that's a totally different world. It's a totally different world and level of effectiveness than your, you know, um, than your guy who's like a fifty percent guy, but forty-three percent or, or even less in, in the defensive end. Um, the other thing that well, and I, guys- I, I was just gonna say, I think that's a big reason why you'll often hear teams talk like, okay, there's face-off guys and then there's penalty-killing face-off guys, right? Like, can you totally? Okay, this guy's a good face-off guy, but can you put him out there in the D zone on a penalty kill wow. on one you absolutely need to win and have faith in him? And that's just a completely different skill set. And that's like a three or four point swing on average, right? Like the moment just removing a player from the ice because so many face-offs are or winger scrambles. wins, yeah, right? Our winger wins that. You know, right away when you have a when you're shorthanded, uh, you're, it's it's harder to win. And then you add the 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 way that you have to go down and show first, uh, and it's you know a really tough spot for the defensive team and the defensive team center. The other thing NHL faceoff guys do is they save their best moves for the faceoffs that matter most. So you'll often see like the best faceoff guys like Patrice Bergeron. If you go look at his, Patrice Bergeron's career, I mean he was winning faceoffs everywhere, mm-hmm. but he often wasn't quite as good winning draws in the neutral zone as right. he was in, as he was in the uh, other two ends of the rink, and that's because you know those are less high leverage. Like he literally is just not showing his best stuff. He's not throwing 102 miles per hour until it's like okay, one minute left, defensive zone draw. Like now you're getting my best, right? It's just a it's a thing to keep in mind, and just a thing where Pedersen, I I could tell at training camp that he'd put a lot of work into it. The moment he won that draw clean off of JT, and you could tell, like, JT is one of those guys who you can read his body language pretty well, even if yeah. you're hundreds of feet away. You don't say. Like, I could yeah. I could tell he was like, whoa. <laughs> you know, like, like it wasn't just the way Pedersen won the draw. It was the reaction of his opponent. It was like, oh, oh, I didn't, like, he, he literally just didn't expect whatever it was that Pedersen did. So I, I could kind of tell that there was something there. We kind of saw it on display last night. I, I, I think it's going to be sticky. You know, Pedersen's one of those guys, so motivated, so driven. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, face-offs, face-offs and face-off percentage is one of those things that naturally tends to improve with age mm-hmm. anyway, and especially can improve with age if you really commit yourself to, to improving that aspect of your game. I, I, I bet when we're asked, or when, when he's asked, uh, there, there's something there. He spent a lot of time on it this summer, and I won't be surprised if he's at a totally new baseline in terms of his effectiveness in the circle. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see, I mean, how that does play into his usage on the penalty kill, right, and things like the matchup uh, the matchup role for the Canucks. On the Selkie talk- topic, it is just such an easy thing for voters to look at, right? If you already regard somebody really well defensively, and he finished seventh in it last year, so obviously people do, and then you see that uptick on the face-off percentage, and maybe it comes along with more consistency usage on the PK and all that. If the team improves on the PK, you can start to see how that idea and that uh, that momentum for his Selkie candidacy would get rolling next year. I still find the question of how they divvy up the matchup roles in the really tough minutes to be absolutely fascinating going into the season. And really one of the big questions I have, and I, don't, I think you're absolutely right, that the way things are set up right now, it's going to be JT Miller who gets a lot of those minutes. But I just think when you have a player like Elias Pettersson, 
it's going to be difficult difficult to keep him out of that role for very long. Like he's really good at it. I think he's clearly the best suited player to do it on the Canucks. And you, you might like Andre Kuzmenko with him. You might like the fit with Niels Hoaglander and they have chemistry off the ice and that's great. But if those guys are holding you back from using Pedersen in tougher minutes, like I think you're going to have to start rethinking things at a certain point. I, I'm not sure the best version of the team involves, or, or let's put it this way. I think the best version of the team involves Elias Pedersen being your chief matchup guy on a lot of nights. Yeah. But I also think the best version of this team includes Kuzmenko and Pedersen. Yeah. You know, the, the, the key for me is Kuzmenko leveling up as a two-way guy because it's very clear that there's something special chemistry-wise, right, in terms of their shared vision and creativity between Kuzmenko and, and Pedersen. I, I mean, I, I really struggle to imagine that the best version of this team doesn't include those two. Well, the – you know, finding ways to really drive goal differential. He, he's five just on five. so clearly the highest skilled winger on the team, right? Like, so at a certain yeah. point, you kind of got to find him a spot on that top line. Well, well, we'll see. We'll see what the regression looks like, and on and on. But I mean, when you consider the way that Kuzmenko scores from in tight, right? Like when you consider how good he is at getting a stick just loose mm-hmm. in the blue paint. Like, even in traffic. And then how good Pedersen is at finding that, um, you know, in the in the regular course of action. Um, you know, if Petter, if one of Pedersen's superpowers is the ability to drive efficiency, and unlike Kuzmenko, he's done it for hundreds of games, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's a, mm-hmm. there's a lot of reasons to believe that Elias Pedersen's a human time machine, right? Uh, that he turns shooting percentage back to the 1980s. But... If Kuzmenko can amplify that reliably, I mean, that's unbelievable. I mean, you'll never find a better line mate for him than a guy who can enhance the efficiency edge that Pedersen already brings. And, you know, I don't know if Kuzmenko is for sure that guy, but it certainly looked like it last season. Yeah, I mean, he sure was last year. And I think even it's the kind of thing where, yeah, he's going to regress his shooting percentage, but he it was so high last year like he can regress and still be extraordinarily efficient you know what i oh, mean yeah, it's yeah. like it's not like oh he's going to regress when, a little bit and be bad all of a sudden no. when we say kuzmenko's going to address uh, regress we don't mean he's not still going to be a far above average finisher yeah he exactly is. he was just so <laughs> yeah. so far above average like off the charts yeah, yeah, yeah. last year yeah. that, that almost has to come Broke down the charts yeah but that i mean that is one of the questions like how how much of that does regress and how much of that is just a product of the phenomenal chemistry between those two and the specific skill set between those two as well. Yeah, and, and don't worry. We'll know after like three to 5,000 more five-on-five five minutes spent playing together. <laughs> oh, is that all? <laughs> yeah, that's that's about how long we're how, – how big the sample is going to be before we before I'm prepared to definitively be like – Oh, I'm serious, because... No, I know what you mean. It's just, it's like, I'm going to put it in my Google calendar for like three years from now to check, yeah. check, check back on this. No, I mean, honestly, uh, when, it, when it comes to the driving percentages, it's so easy to get f- fooled. Uh, guys will do it for a year and a half and then never do it again. You know, like, honestly, it's, it's one of the things you have to be stickiest about in terms of insisting on priors before 
accepting or being willing to conclude that a guy's doing it in a sustainable way. Yeah, and you know, your point about, okay, if you're going to use Patterson in a matchup role, what has to happen? And as you said, one of those things is Andre Kuzmenko developing as a two-way player, which is, you know, I think it's a good point because we do spend so much time talking about his shooting percentage, but there's that other side of things as well. And, you know, to bring it back, we we saw the frustration that Rick Tockett had on that side of things. And, you know, I wonder how quickly in the season is Andre Kuzmenko going to be able to earn that trust from Rick Tockett, right? That, okay, you're at least at a baseline where I can put you out there with Pedersen against, you know, Nathan McKinnon, against Connor McDavid, against Jack Eichel and the Golden Knights, and I can trust you in those circumstances. That's going to be a big uh, determinant based for, for how that line gets used. And then I guess the other thing is, does Niels Hoaglander do enough to stay in that spot when Ilya Mikheyev comes back? Because obviously, once you get, if you get a healthy Ilya Mikheyev back, that gives you a, a really defensively reliable forward to partner with Elias Pettersson and maybe offset some of the concerns you have with Andre Kuzmenko, too. Yeah. The, and the Mikheyev thing is one of, you know, uh, among many areas where this Canucks team is extremely volatile. In, in terms of having the ability to massively exceed or, or massively underperform our expectations. You know, Mikheyev's like one of the top three, right? Um, what does he look like when he returns? Um, you know, he, he's a guy who across, like he was a well below average NHL finisher for the first, you know, multiple, like many seasons of his career. And there were, there were some Toronto fans who watched him and said, you know, he's been deeply unlucky, but you know, his career shooting percentage across his first 100 games, basically, 8.2% in his first year across 39 games, 6.5% in his second year across 54 games, right? I mean, that's well below yep. average. And then since then, he, you know, it, roughly equivalent sample, 14.3, which is well above average and brings him sort of to an average, uh, like a career where he's an average finisher. So it's like, is he going to regress from 14-3? Or was the 14-3 him regressing? Is there a baseline that's halfway between? Like, yeah. you know, we, there, there's a lot of doubt in my mind anyway still about what Mikheyev is as a finisher. And then you add in the ACL, you add in how speed-based his game is, um, the patience that, you know, he may require in terms of recovering his, his characteristic play driving – um, you know, I have no idea what to expect from Mikheyev this season. Like, really, I have no idea. And I'm very curious to see because certainly the apex case for Mikheyev, the 14.3% his new actual true talent finishing clip, and he's back to his play driving self. I mean, that's a heck of a player. That's like oh, a, yeah. That's like a three-win guy. <laughs> and yet there's also a world where he both regresses in terms of his shooting percentage and doesn't retrieve his play driving at least – for the first portion of this season and man does that change the outlook for Vancouver's top six in my mind yeah putting in healthy Mikheyev like healthy functioning at the top of his game and then even if the the shooting regresses a little bit right it's still just such a an important piece for them and I I think about the penalty kill and you know the way Teddy Bluger was skating last night and if you have an option to put out you know that Teddy Bluger and healthy Ilya Mikheyev over the boards first on your penalty kill and you can kind of pick your spots more with JT Miller and Elias Pettersson like I think that that's just so big for this team and something they have lacked so much. But the question is, when we see it, if we see it, 
uh, from Ilya Mikheyev because it really could change the complexion of this team in a big way. All right, we're going to wrap it up there today. Drancer is down in Seattle, so he's going to give us the scoop and maybe some some falsehoods tomorrow, and some too. And some the fibs. scoop and some fibs. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, he will have the scoop on the game down in Seattle tonight. Again, it is not on TV, uh, but you can hear Brendan Batchelor and Ranjeep Danda on the call uh, right here. It is the home of the Canucks, and we will be back tomorrow to break it all down here on Sportsnet 650.